Hi, I'm Brandon Briscoe, and welcome to another episode of The Postscript, Living Faith Bible Institute's weekly podcast and YouTube series devoted to interviewing pastors and professors from the Living Faith Bible Institute and from across the Living Faith Fellowship. Uh, we want to thank you for joining us this week, and we, we ask again that, that if you're enjoying the show, that you would uh, like, subscribe, share with friends, and support us and, and show us your appreciation that way. This week, I have a, a, a very dear friend of mine uh, here in town from London, England, uh, Brian Clark of Crossroads Baptist Church. And we're going to be having a conversation specifically about what it looks like uh, to do ministry in Europe in a in kind of a post-Christian world. When we, we think of a, a secular society or a, a post-Christian society more specifically, a lot of the time we think about uh, London uh, as kind of the uh, the prototype of 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 what that looks like, and so I'm curious to ask him questions about what it looks like to minister in a world that looks like that. And so we want to welcome Brian back to the show. Thanks for being here, man. Thanks. It's good to be here. Um, so I'm gonna I'll lead with this question because I think it's kind of a funny question. Cool. Uh, what's it like being a kind of a Midwestern Southern guy with it with your accent and with your American proclivities uh, in in a place like London. I mean, was that is that a hard adjustment? Do people perceive you a particular way? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. sure, you're going to get for people that maybe don't know you. There there might be some of that initially, you know, and even there's some of that even long term. Mm -hmm. uh, I think in some people's mind, I'll always be an American. Yeah, even though you know I've lived there for. 20 years i've lived there longer than i've lived any place in my life wow and um and so and i've you know raised all my babies there and mm -hmm. and then even my heritage goes back to there and um yeah so i do think of it as my home i do identify with that if anything coming back to the states these days is an adjustment for mm -hmm. me and uh the culture is you know it's cool it's i like cultures all over um, but it is that's more of the adjustments coming back mm -hmm. than being there. And so uh, I really like London. I think it's a great city and uh, all the different people and stuff like that. Uh, you know, I do really enjoy that mm -hmm. uh, aspect of it. But I think there is a certain amount of because, you know, just being an American uh, politically, you know, the climate today, you know, it has connotations that go along with that. And so I think people hear my accent. Uh, they might just see me as an American, you know, even other men, fellow ministers mm -hmm. will still, they'll always kind of see me. And as, what does that mean? I mean, do you get slighted for that or, or sometimes? That, sure. So what are the perceptions do you think? Uh, the perception of Americans is, and it's unfair because uh, I think everybody's different, you know, and uh, that's always what you're going to get into with uh, stereotypes. But yeah, uh, but that we kind of, we know it all. Mm. you know and um and then we're kind of uh, uh act first you know ask questions later you know that kind of right. perception which is one of our strengths you know uh the americans will be like let's just go get it done let's get in there we'll figure it out as we go right uh, the germans will like they'll work on something you know theoretically for ages before they put it into action or they'll mm -hmm. work on it, make sure it's just right which is their strength mm -hmm. you know and uh the the british are kind of a mixture of the two you know okay and they're kind of like you know 
uh, even if it's broke, it's it's probably all right. <laughs> <laughs> it would just kind of uh, this just the They're way more we, laid, laid back in that regard. Well, it's just this is the way we've always done it, so it, it'll probably be fine. Mm. And uh, so they're kind of that way, but. So you kind of have that pioneering spirit that kind of made the United States what it was. And uh, but that's kind of like we don't really need you to come in here and pioneer anything. Yeah. You yeah. know, we, we're, we're, we're doing OK. And even if we're not, we'll, we'll figure it out, hmm. you know. And um, but, you know, their steadiness is their strength. Yeah. They stay steady, you know, so that's their strength and uh, their subtleness you know, as opposed to the brashness uh, maybe of North America and stuff. And so mm-hmm. that becomes their strength. And so I really try to see the strengths and all that, but there will be that kind of, they think, well, he's just going to, he's not going to listen. He's just going to come in here. He's going to have the answers. He's going to try to, you know, bulldoze his way through. And and really that's not me at all. Sure. That's not what I want to do. Mm-hmm. One of my heroes was Hudson Taylor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually named my son Hudson, right. Hudson yeah. Ty Clark after him. And um, he's one of my heroes, and he took off the traditional kind of English clothes, and he put on the clothes and dressed uh, like the people he was trying to reach. Mm -hmm. And um, I always wanted, when I moved to England, I wanted to say, look, I think you should be where you are. Right. And one of the mistakes I saw a lot of missionaries making is they were constantly comparing, you know, the UK to the United States. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you know, you can't live like that. You need to be here where you are. And so I wanted to be one of them i really wanted to shed off any kind of americanisms and i wanted to be one of them and i purposely didn't celebrate any american holidays mm-hmm. uh, or anything like that uh, because i wanted you know a, a typical english person or irish person Scottish, they weren't going to do that right. so uh, i wasn't going to do that and so i wanted to eat what they ate i wanted to go where they went and all that kind of stuff and because I really wanted to identify with them. Yeah. But uh, so that was a lot more at first. But there's a certain amount of that stuff that you're never going to shake off and you're never going to be able to avoid. And uh, so, you know, at the end of the day, you just got to be yourself. Yeah. And but it's not just be yourself. Uh, that's kind of uh, an understatement. Uh, you, you have to uh, be biblical. You know, when see, someone says, just be yourself. Well, what if you're a butthole? <laughs> you know, that's not a, always good advice. That's true. You need to be your biblical self. Sure. You need to be, uh, you know, the uh, a righteous, godly man. That's really right. what you should strive to be. And I think if you are that, then the rest of that stuff works itself out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I've, it's actually weird because the longer I'm there, uh, the more I kind of don't worry so much mm-hmm. about being a particular way culturally and I just try to be as biblical as I can. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So, I mean, we're having this conversation so far, uh, addressing kind of the the, the psyche of the uh, Lund- Londoner or the you know the British person. And so, this may be a, uh, an opportunity to kind of move back a little bit further. I, I want the conversation to turn towards what's it like ministering in a society that is uh, post-Christian, and by post-Christian. I mean, um, a society that was once a, a Christian nation, community, city um, that has since uh, turned and become 
secular in their perspective and, and has abandoned uh, Christianity, but yet the, their Christianity has impacted the way that they see the world. And so um, the heritage of their faith, perhaps, you know, 50, 100, 200 years ago has impacted the way that they approach life and uh, maybe even faith systems or spirituality. And, and, and so it's kind of inextricable in terms of who they are. Yeah. And so maybe you can explain to us what is the the English history of faith and Christianity and uh, maybe walk us through that to today and, and explain how we got where we, we are. Well, I do think that there's a certain amount of this that uh, the Brits and the Yanks would share. Uh-huh. Um, because I think that, you know, at the, I think the heart of it, there are certain obviously political things that have happened you know world war ii you know had mm-hmm. obviously a huge impact on the culture as a whole you know after that people really questioned the aspects of god yeah you know and you know what they saw you know really scared them. and then of course the cold war and all that was in some ways worse yeah i think um, in both regards i think world war ii affected um england in a way that it didn't affect America, not that there wasn't some of what, what you're talking about, but mm-hmm. I think the outcomes um, were much more harsh. You know, the poverty was was much more difficult. Yeah, things like that. Yeah, just the the death toll. Mm-hmm. It was really tough to see, kind of, and there was a very much a feeling of you know where where is God mm-hmm. in all of this, and we really just have to do the best we can, figure it out, you mm-hmm. know, because he, he's not there. Mm. And uh, so there was some of that. There was also, I think, an aspect of people saw how that uh, the way Hitler fooled people and he was very charismatic speaker and uh, he was a very evil man, obviously, Mm -hmm. but a very charismatic speaker. And the way that the society really just bought in to him because, you know, they voted him in, you know, Mm -hmm. they thought he would be a good guy and. They thought he was going to be great, and they really bought what he was saying, hook, line, and sinker. And they, you know, nobody's ever been more fooled. And I think that many people now are skeptical in your Western civilization. They're very skeptical to buy into a dogma Mm -hmm. because they they saw that, and they're like, "Well, you know, we're not we're not buying in again. We're not drinking the Kool-Aid, right? We're going to be skeptical of everything we hear. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? And uh, so there's a certain amount of that where we're not going to be fooled again. Mm -hmm. I think that plays in. I don't think it's the total thing, but I think that that certainly plays in to people's understanding, you know, and their, the way they view any kind of real dogmatic statements and absolute statements. They're going to be like, well, you know, yeah. If it, if it feels authoritative, there's a danger that it's going to become authoritarian. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And just, you know, a lie, mm-hmm. just a, an outright lie. Yeah. And uh, so I think they're hesitant. But I think beyond all of those things, uh, I think the church is what let us down. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think around 1900, you know, around that time, a turn of that century, um, I think the world in in some respects was looking to the church you know when it comes to the word of god and it was the church who at that time were saying that the bible's not perfect yeah the the bible has errors you know it has mistakes and it's not we're not even certain if this is what it really says mm-hmm. and we're gonna you know all of our 
textual criticism is going to try to figure out what the Bible actually says. And I think that was a very crucial time in world history. And it needed to be the church at that time that said, look, you can believe the Bible. The Bible is true. It is God's word. It's absolutely perfect. Uh, Mm -hmm. That was what we should have been saying. And yet it was the church itself that was saying it's not perfect. We can't be certain uh, that the Bible is inerrant. And uh, and so I think the world has, in response to that, in many ways, has been like, well, yeah, of course it's not. Mm-hmm. And I think they've, in many ways, gone the other way. And so the underlying uh, aspects of the culture is that you know God's word is not authoritative. Right. And I think a lot of the what you're talking about in terms of those modernist uh, critical discoveries um, came from Europe. Mm-hmm. And so I think even. Uh, you know, that more uh, um, heavy-handed critique, um, uh, criticism that, 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 that we, we refer to as having an impact across the entire West mm-hmm. um, began really where you're at. I yeah. mean, and, and so I think those things are particularly strong, at least from our perspective uh, in America, when we look, you know, across the pond, we see that those those concepts are, are stronger uh, philosophically, more ingrained into uh, a place like England. Absolutely, and it's it, which is a shame because you know, I mean, they gave us the King James Bible, mm-hmm. one of the most phenomenal things. I mean, even according to secular historians, oh, yeah. it, it's one of the most phenomenal works that's been done. And we know that these things are kind of indisputable historically. I mean, when the printing press came on the scene and the Bibles were among the first that were being uh, printed mm-hmm. and the Bible was going into the hands of the common man, it it changed society. Yeah, It completely changed society. And, um, and I think in the same way, when we basically told the world it's, it's not perfect, I think that that completely changed society. I think yeah. the same way we we did the opposite. We took those Bibles back out of their hands, and I think it completely transformed society. And um, so I think that when you're talking with someone, even someone who's a believer, you know, in the UK, there's still um, there's a uh, what's the word? Uh, there's a skepticism, you know, uh, because even the Bible they hold in their hands is not perfect Hmm. you see what i'm saying yeah yeah and so and even more and more as time goes on you're seeing that in the united states they just they question the word of god and um so there's no real authority you know and you can say well this is absolute well you know maybe maybe yeah what you're saying is really interesting it makes me think like with colonization and obviously great britain's influence in the world because because of colonization um, man, they impacted everything. Yeah. I mean, the whole mm-hmm. world uh, has been influenced by by British culture at some point in some time, and, and especially at a height when when missions uh, was was huge in Europe, and and the, and Great Britain was an epicenter of missions for the entire world. Right, um, men producing men like Hudson Taylor, that kind of influence on in terms of Christianity on the whole world was so powerful and to have that completely deflated right. in such a short period of time really um, is uh, had a huge impact. And I think maybe the whole world feels that deflation. Yeah. 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 I think that, the, and it was a real, I think it was a purposeful 
concentrated effort, mm-hmm. you know, that that happened in society. They they really had to dismantle the authority of God's word um, in Western civilization in order for the culture to go the way that the people who make those kind of calls wanted it to go. Right. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the show. We're going to pause right here for just a second so we can hear from one of our students from the Living Faith Bible Institute. Hi, my name is Miles Cheadle, and LFBI is an incredible asset for anybody that wants to to learn and to grow in their knowledge of the Word of God, and not just that, but to apply it uh, in ministry and to grow as a minister. Uh, you have incredible uh, preachers and pastors and missionaries uh, that aren't just teaching the Word of God, but they, they live it out in their everyday lives. And so it makes the insights that they share incredibly practical uh, for day-to-day ministry. Uh, again, this is a place to, to continually be challenged in the Word. Uh, we don't want to be people that go stagnant in our walks. Uh, we need to be put in remembrance. And so even if you say, man, I learned these things years ago, well, we need to be put in remembrance and to continue to trust God to grow and to stretch us and to equip us to invest in others. And so if you haven't already, this is something that you want to be a part of. Uh, and so I just I encourage you to consider that. Uh, thank you. Bye. If that interests you at all, please visit lfbi.org and consider enrolling in classes. So I'm curious a little bit about the um, how the Church of England may have contributed to uh, that kind of walking away from, uh, I'll use the word religion. What is the Church of England like now in uh, London and, and, and in England? And what has it been like in the past uh, that has maybe contributed even more so to this kind of cynicism about God's word and, and even Christianity. Well, there's probably better guys you could ask uh, about that, but uh, so I'll give you my opinion. Um, I think that the Church of England really kind of has two parts to it. Mm-hmm. You have kind of high church and you have low church. And so high church, uh, Anglican, you know, looks on the outward, it looks very Catholic in mm-hmm. the sense that, you know, the same kind of outfits and the clothes and the, you know, you have the archbishop that they would answer to as, but instead of the the Pope. Right. But, but even today, uh, the Church of England, you know, even the Methodist Church and the Catholic Church have really kind of come back together in many aspects and have really agreed not to argue and squabble about some of those major differences that they've had in the past. Mm. There's So there's been a, a lot more coming together on those things. Um, but you'll see in the high church, you'll still see uh, a really kind of talking out of both sides of your mouth when it comes to salvation by faith or salvation by works. I think that there's a not a real clear answer yeah, right. uh, about that. You know, having talked to you know vicars and stuff like that, when trying to pin down what actually happens to that baby when they're christened, because if you read the liturgy, uh, they're saved. Yeah. They've been brought into the body of Christ, right? Uh, but then others were like, "Well, it's more of a dedication," and the others were like, "Well, it's just more symbolic, and that you know doesn't happen until later." And but there's no real sense. I think this is where things really get messy mm-hmm. because they they get christened as a baby. I mean, and everybody does, even people that are. I mean, people so, generally. So culturally, people are still doing this in England. This is a very important part of. I would say it's common. 
it's a common it's not that every single person does it mm-hmm. but it is quite quite common mm-hmm. we've known people that were atheists that would still get their babies christened because it's a part of the culture you know it is a cultural thing mm-hmm. and um, so they would do that but you have that christening time and it's based upon the faith of the parents or the godparents that is kind of conferred upon the child mm-hmm. even though the child's not making any kind of decision but then they go along as they grow up and they have a time of what they call confirmation yeah right right so again yeah, the methodist church a lot of lutheran churches a lot of these churches still do that sure yeah. absolutely um so they're not they're just confirming according to them the faith that they've already that had established at baptist at the christening so you can see the beauty of this system is that there's no time for considering being born again. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Because there's no, that's not really for someone who's been christened and then they're going along and then they're confirming the faith they already had. So when you talk to a Brit and you're like, so even someone who's saved and you're like, so when did you get saved? And they're like, well. Yeah. It's the same as talking to like a Catholic. It's right. not really Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. And it's so, their associations and something that was done or done to them right that ensures that they have some sort of eternal security and and then of course from from the united states perspective we haven't really done them any favors because with all of our you know uh, revivalists that we had which many of them were awesome and and great but then you had a lot of guys that were really uh, focused on this what they call decisionism mm-hmm. you know and uh, have you made your decision for christ today and let's bring them down to the front and m- make a decision make a decision right and so it became this kind of a push back against this all you have to do is raise your hand and fill out the card and you're saved right uh kind of thing and they're like so when you say you know you you need to make a personal decision to believe in jesus christ then many modern christians today would they hear you know that revival type come forward and sign the card yeah type of thing and they're like well no you don't have to do that yeah you know to be saved you know and so there is just really this kind of haziness over the issue of making a personal decision to be born again and be saved the anglican church has really removed that terminology from people's vernacular and then even people who are Protestant, you know, like Baptist stuff like that, there's still a haziness over whether or not a personal decision really needs to be made. You know, you do believe, you know, but that might happen. And even though they would say theologically, there is a moment when you go from death to life, but you may not know exactly when that is. Hmm. And so that's really dangerous, I think, because then you don't really know you know, have you done this? And has this happened? Are you a believer? And it becomes really murky. Yeah. And uh, so I think that that's part mm-hmm. of what has happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in, in the low church, there's some guys that you would consider like good guys in the sense that they, I believe that they are believers and they love Jesus Christ and and they do want to try to preach the word. Um, but obviously, doctrinally, uh, there's going to be problems. Um, they still... The Church of England is still the head of the church as the queen and still a state church. It's not mm-hmm. a not the autonomy of the local New Testament church. It's just one church in many locations and, yeah. and that kind of stuff. And still infant baptism, still all of these kind of things that are going to cloud 
the issue. Mm-hmm. But in the midst of that system, historically, you've always had some guys that were like stronger than others. But for the most part, and you know, maybe I'm wrong about this, but for the most part, I think that these guys really just cloud the issue. Yeah. I think that that's re- they really only confuse the problem. What we really need in in my city that I love so much, what I think what we really need is a very clear doctrine of the gospel. We need clear decisions of people putting their faith, repenting of sin and putting their faith in Jesus Christ. We need really clear doctrinal position on the authority of God's word. And the longer that we allow the murkiness just to remain, mm-hmm. I think it, it only confuses the issue, not just among Christians, but more importantly, among lost people as to what it means to be saved, what it means to come to Christ and to be a Christian. Um, that's the that's the problem. Yeah, People yeah. just want to, I think they feel too comfortable to leave it murky. Yeah. And we need some clarity mm-hmm. on what those things mean. Okay, so then I guess my, my next question is, well, then how do you cut through that? Uh, because, you know, what you were saying earlier in the in the show is that um, that it's common for, culturally common for, uh, uh, you know, the average British person to, to say to themselves, well, this is kind of how we've done things and, and um, we don't really need any, you know, revolution. We don't <laughs> need, you know, any new ideas. Certainly um, don't need any Americans coming in. Right, right. Telling us what to do. Which, yeah. you know. Fair um, enough. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. So maybe explain how your church is doing exactly what you're talking about in terms of, of cutting through um, some of that murkiness. Well, um, I think that we've had in having a lot of conversations with people, you know, on the street and personally in relationships and stuff. We one of the things that we kind of come up against all the time is that when they hear us talking about the gospel, they hear us talking about religion to them. Right. And they're they would say, well, you know, you know, I don't really need to know about this because I'm a Presbyterian or I'm a. Mm-hmm. I'm an Anglican or I was christened or I'm a Buddhist or whatever. And they, you hear us telling them that they need to straighten up, just try to be a better person. And they're like, well, I, I don't really adhere to that because I'm this. Mm-hmm. And so it was really when, when we talk about the gospel, they would hear religion. Yeah. Right. And the religion as we define it today. Sure. You know, which is typically viewed in a negative connotation. Yeah. Like you described it as kind of an easy beliefism and yeah. they just see it from that lens. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, that's what they would really. And so literally, I mean, just after hundreds and hundreds of conversations of trying to tell people, well, that's not really what we want to talk to you about. We don't really want to talk to you about your religious affiliations. Uh, we want to talk to you about what you personally believe about the person of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. That's really how we developed our tagline, our church, no religion, just Jesus. Mm-hmm. Even though the word religion is not in itself. It's, it's not innately bad in scripture. Right. Right. But it's just, that's what it's come to be seen as, mm-hmm. is a, kind of an impediment to knowing the person of Jesus Christ, because you can't put your faith in religious activities to bring you to Christ or to make you right with God. It's through a personal relationship with Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. And so religion seems to be defined more in the aspects of you, what you do to save yourself. Uh, whereas Christ, uh, you know, has is the one that makes the way to save us. Mm-hmm. And he's the one that has come to save us, not the other way around. And so we're constantly trying to say, look, we're not focused on religious aspects. We want to talk about um, Jesus Christ mm-hmm. and what you believe about him. 
But I think ultimately, I think the way that we can um, contribute you know, and there's a, there's, we're not the only ones. There's a lot of guys out there that love Jesus Christ that are doing it good and that want to do a great job for the Lord and to believe the Bible. Uh, and we want to be one of those guys that are doing that out there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think the way that we can do that is through not only sound preaching, expository preaching, uh, preaching the Bible, but through uh, biblical discipleship. Mm-hmm. I, I think that the only way that you can, I hate to say it this way, but the only way you can fix the problem is you, you need a, a new generation yeah. of born-again believers that grow up believing the book. We need a whole generation of people that believe that the Bible is God's Word, that the Bible is perfect from cover to cover. And it's a shame that we have so many Christians today on both sides of the pond that don't believe that anymore. Mm-hmm. We need a whole generation of people that believe that the Bible is perfect, that it is God's word, that you can believe every word of it. And uh, and we've got to grow those people up from the ground up. We've yeah. got to grow them. Which is a slow process. It, it's it's not, absolutely not an overnight. It's absolutely thing. slow. Yeah. And uh, but that's the reason why we've resigned ourselves that uh, we're just going to be in it, you know, to establish that foundation and we're not looking to quote set the woods on fire right we just want to establish a firm foundation of biblical discipleship where we can teach people uh, what the gospel actually is that it's by grace through faith and that you coming to christ has nothing to do with your behavior Mm -hmm. you being made right with god has nothing to do with right. your behavior. Right. That is a huge message where we live. Mm-hmm. And how is that? How is that received? I mean, what do you run into? I mean, what are the follow up questions? Or the same as you would always think. It's the accusation of well, you're saying we can live however we want, or it's the well, but if you're really a Christian, then you are going to live a certain way, you know. And it's always those things. They always want to kind of add that in there. Mm-hmm. Because, They've been taught to think that way. Right. But uh, that's okay because um, that's the reason why Paul had to answer that question in Romans chapter 6. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason why he had to say, well, so shall we continue in sin? You're right. He had to answer that question because if you're preaching the gospel right, if you're really preaching grace correctly, the accusation will always be. So you're saying then that we can still sin we can still live however we want yeah in effect if you're almost if you're not receiving that accusation then you should question whether or not because if if for example look at it the other way if i'm preaching the gospel if i'm telling people well you've got to live right and you've got to live holy you believe in jesus for sure but you've got to live a holy life and then you'll go to heaven well no one would ever accuse me of saying you know, you can. Well, you're saying you can live however you want. Sure. They, I would never be confronted with the questions that Paul had to answer. Right. But the reason why he was confronted with those questions, the reason why he had to answer that, is because the the grace of God is confusing to that type of religious system. Yeah. It looks like what do they they call it antinomianism? Right. right. The, this idea that you're because you are a Christian that that and grace seems to abound that you can. Per- permit any sort of sin or sinful behavior into your life and it's right it's not an issue which is obviously not what we believe and people always want to add it they you know the good works always come in as either a way to get it 
or as a way to keep it mm-hmm. and or as even some as a way to prove it mm-hmm. and you see that in both the catholic version that's how you get it charismatic assembly of god type doctrine that's the way you keep it uh, the reformed that's the way you prove it mm-hmm. and they always want to bring that in and we put our faith in jesus christ right and him alone based upon his behavior i mean we could go on all day sure uh, about that but that's that's the preaching uh, the clear preaching of the gospel is that it is by grace alone through faith alone in christ and what he did and it's not based upon your behavior whatsoever but then beyond that getting into biblical discipleship and grounding people in the true doctrines of the bible second timothy 2 2 mm-hmm. one by one you know little by little yeah. you've got to grow up a whole generation of people that will do that that's the only way mm-hmm. the answer is in uh just a, a consistent evangelical presence and and um and discipleship uh to help turn the tide whether or not it actually ever fully turns turns or not when you reflect on your ministry and you're thinking of you're full of faith and you're and you're being hopeful um and you kind of and you're using your imagination as i think a lot of pastors do uh and they see how things might unfold in the coming years both in your life but maybe in in, in generations coming after your children and their children in in um england uh london maybe specifically mm-hmm. what do you imagine it looking like uh for christianity to to revive in a place like that one of the first real lessons in the bible that impacted me as a kid uh, was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, mm-hmm. and uh, the fiery furnace. Yeah, and uh, I can remember still as a little kid whenever they answered the king, you know, and they're like, "It's so powerful." My God is able to deliver us, but even if He doesn't, yeah, we're still not going to bow, right? So I'm like, that's that's what I when I walk out, and, mm-hmm. you know, when I walk to my office every day, that's what I think. Yeah, that's good. I mean, God is more than able to, you know, to do this far above what we could ever imagine. Mm-hmm. He's able to do it. But even if he doesn't, yeah, I am not going to bow. Sure. I, I'm not going to, you know, give in to that. I'm going to keep preaching the gospel. I just think that Christ, because of who he is, yeah, he deserves to have people that are out there that are standing up saying, he is true. Mm-hmm. He is the one. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. And we do that in the face of the noise and not even being heard. Yeah. Um, that's okay. I'm okay with that. Yeah. I, I'm perfectly content that um, I would do that in the face of a tidal wave. Yeah. And uh, it's okay with me. Yeah, that's great. Which I think, you you know, we you and I have talked about this recently, but the idea of being a remnant. Yeah demands that perspective absolutely yeah that even if you know like elijah even if the nation of israel doesn't turn um i'm still jealous i'm still jealous for the lord of hosts that the nation of israel would turn Mm -hmm. uh, but nonetheless your presence is sufficient you know right um your presence for me is sufficient for for my faith absolutely he's my portion in this life yeah and uh to me that's what that's what gets me fired up Mm-hmm. That's actually what motivates me is that it's like the darker that it gets, the more I want to shine. Yeah. And <laughs> that's what gets me fired up. Yeah. 
And uh, so I think that the there is a certain amount of benefit in being optimistic. And uh, and someone might come along and say, Brian, you know, it's a little dark, dude. You need to lighten up, you know, and that's fair enough. But and I think there's a benefit to some real optimism. Mm-hmm. I, I just believe the Bible and, um, you know, forget everything else. I just I just believe I believe the Bible and I want to tell people about it. And um, I'm just going to I'm going to hold on to that word until I'm dead. Yeah. Well, that's good, man. Thank you for yeah. sharing that. And we love you. I love you too, man. And uh, we love you as well. We thank you for sitting in on this conversation. And uh, we do pray that that hearing this would challenge you to reconsider uh, whether or not you're you're living a, a comfortable faith. Um, I think it's it's in, incredibly easy for us to find ourselves uh, going with the flow of a cultural Christianity, and um, and and I think that that's misleading. And and so I think I, I think today's conversation maybe. Uh, challenged at least me or, or or maybe you as well uh to consider uh whether or not you know that christ is worth dying for uh how far would you go uh if no one was to 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 turn to the lord would you continue to pursue him and, and would he still be your all in all and i think we have to live that way and i think that's the type of person that, that christ can actually use and so i hope that that was a motivation for you to consider uh your faith and and, and who christ is to you and uh, hopefully also maybe uh, it motivated you to consider whether or not you need more training as it concerns God, God's word. You need to learn the word of God more for yourself. And, and if you know that that's you uh, and you want to learn from men like Brian Clark and other pastors in our fellowship, we ask that you would visit lfbi.org and, and consider signing up for classes that would, would teach you what it means to stand uh, on God's word. Um, uh, regardless of your circumstances. And, and so we, we want to invite you to do that. We love you. Uh, meet with us again next week for another episode of The Postscript. Uh, we, we hope you have a blessed week. Bye.